Hey guys, this is Jay Shear, host of the Reclamation Society podcast. Today's episode is a special one because I am being joined for the first time by Reclamation Society co-founder Nathan Sheck. Nathan prefers to be a behind-the-scenes kind of guy. He edits our podcast. He helps me construct our original stories. And he's an amazing illustrator. But today, he has agreed to join me to talk about Zack Snyder's film, Watchmen. So like we always do, we'll review the film first, and then we'll dive in with our deeper thoughts about the story and its characters. I do want to make note of our Star Wars fan film. If you haven't seen that yet, head over to reclamationsociety.org. Check that out, and while you're there, you can learn a little bit more about our organization. The link is in the show notes below. I also want to mention that this podcast will contain spoilers. So in our new episode format, we give a brief review of the story, in this case, The Watchmen, first, before we dive deeper into the film. So if you haven't seen Watchmen yet and you don't want to be spoiled, you can stick around for the review, and then when we move into the deeper questions, you can stop listening until after you've gone to see it. I do want to mention too, because I don't think this comes up in the review too much, but uh, The Watchmen has a lot of adult content. So it's rated R, it's rated R for a reason, um, and uh, you know kids shouldn't be watching it, that kind of thing, so be careful with that. But without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into The Watchmen. Nathan, welcome to the show for the first time. Thank you. Yeah, as a non-editor. Um, <laughs> yes. And I know that Nathan is super excited about this because uh, <laughs> he um, it's not his choice to be in front of the camera or the microphone at most times. Um, so let's just jump into it. Uh, the first place we're going to start, we've started doing this with all our podcasts and with all the material that we're analyzing. We actually start with a review. We have three uh, different measures that we rate each of the sci-fi, fantasy, comic book um, stories with. The first rating is a quality rating, storytelling quality, uh, art, um, direction, cinematography, whatever is involved, it's a quality rating. Then we get into a story depth rating, how deep is the story? Um, and then finally, uh, our likelihood to refer. So let's start out, Nathan, with your, what's your quality rating of Watchmen from a scale of one to 10, 10 being the best? Uh, for this, and I'm not, you know, I'm not sure how accurate it'll be since I haven't rated a ton of movies this way, but an initial take on it, I was giving it an 8.5. Nice. What was some rationale for that? In general, yeah, just the artistic quality of it was was fun to watch. The story itself was deeper than most superhero movies. Um, it's one of the ones that just felt more like it was fun to just kind of sit there and watch it and find out what happens um, um, and, and kind of feel like it expects you to at least bring something to it, do some of the work. It's not going to lay everything out for you or have like a really simple plot and then have the giant half hour supervillain fight at the end. Um, <laughs> so I appreciated that. <laughs> yeah. Not a critique of any other movies necessarily. No, speaking. no, never. Cough, cough. It's the Batman v Superman. Cough, cough, <laughs> Man of Steel. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think because it, at its heart, it's almost like a mystery yeah. novel yes. or a mystery film, right? Like, which is kind of cool. And I think that they use Rorschach really well that way. So 8.5. 
Um, cool. I, I said nine, uh, so we're both in the same range, same category there. Uh, same reasons you said. I think, I think that Zack Snyder is from uh, an artistic standpoint and the way that he um, film is a, is an extremely visual medium, just like comic books are, and so therefore the visuals are of critical importance to the storytelling. And I don't think there's not a there's not a lot of people in Hollywood in my opinion, who are better than Zack Snyder at the visual aspects of the storytelling. Um, particularly when he's dealing with a subject matter that he did not uh, have a heavy hand in uh, writing or telling of the story. So obviously, like this is an Alan Moore um, story that he is interpreting for film. So in this case, I think that that's like the best place to put him um as a director just my personal opinion right especially because he he likes to treat his material as if it's super deep and luckily Watchmen already is pretty deep um as opposed to for example batman v superman which (laughs) which he treats basically the same way as Watchmen. yes Um, but it doesn't have the backing for that (laughs) exactly exactly Um, but yeah i did I, you know, just watching it again, basically, you know, the first 11 minutes with the, the fight at the very beginning and then the credit sequence, um, you know, aside from tiny bits of dialogue, it's pretty much just a silent film. Um, and it's all just the music and the, and the visuals and it's really good. And it, it reminded me of that again. Yeah. I think it's actually, in my opinion, one of the best, um, introductions to a film because he's doing several things in that in that setting uh, that are pretty um, artistic. So one of the things that he's doing is he's setting up the story because there's obviously a murder that happens um, in the very beginning of this film. And I'm going to give another spoiler warning after our review. So we're not going to try and do any spoilers in the review section. Um, there's this murder that occurs in the beginning of the film that sets up the mystery. And that whole scene is filmed incredibly well. The whole thing is just amazing. And then we go into the, like you talked about, sort of this flashback, which, by the way, flashbacks are usually a bad thing to, well, not I shouldn't say they're a bad thing to do inherently, but they are a storytelling device that can be very difficult to pull off well in film. And in this case, he does this uh, credit sequence which is this slow motion, almost like, uh, it's almost like watching a picture unfold um, with a camera moving through a picture uh, that is phenomenal. Like, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it in a film before. So I think this is one of the best beginnings of a film that I've ever seen. Like how the, uh, what was it, uh, Once Upon a Time in the West is another one of those that's just as a, like starts out almost completely silent for the first like four or five minutes. That's another fantastic beginning to a film but this one has to be in my opinion in the top 10 of all the films that i've ever seen yeah i think i'd agree yeah the other one that would probably be up there is raiders of the lost ark which oh, has an yeah. amazing in, uh, start to it well and of course star wars right and raiders yeah. is also pretty much silent exactly exactly i think there's something about having silence i mean we even we even did that to a degree with star wars rivals even though it has a voiceover going through it just because it's such a short film um you have to get squeeze some of that in there for setup but uh i think that that is a really strong way of adding tension so like 
Um, obviously, Star Wars starts out with the crawl, so that's a little different because it's giving you context. Um, but that's iconic, right? And then, and then we move into the ship coming across, and then all of a sudden, it's like the from the ship coming across all the way until Vader encounters Princess Leia. There, it's uh, fairly silent the whole time as well through that yeah. time. So there's something to be said for this quiet setup of a film. And when I say quiet, obviously there's, um, you know, there can be explosions and things like that. But what I mean is that we're not, we're seeing things as opposed to hearing them being told to us. Um, so in that regard, maybe Star Wars Rivals fails, but you should still go watch it on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> it's a plug, self, selfish plug. Okay, so that's our quality measure. I will, I will say one more thing about quality before we move on. I will say that... A lot of the quality, I think, just comes from the fact that Alan Moore's story is so good. It's, it's called the greatest graphic novel of all time by a lot of different people. So when you have that kind of source material and you add a director who's really talented at adding the visual component and telling a visual, the visual story, it makes for a really good match. So let's move on to story depth. Um, and obviously what we mean by this is that there are, let's face it, there are bubblegum stories out there. Uh, for example... Um, the Avengers. The Avengers is a really shallow story. It's mainly here's some bad guys, here's some good guys. Bad guys and good guys must fight each other to save the world or whatever. So that's like a shallow story. A deeper story is a story that's dealing with spiritual themes. It's dealing dealing with human nature um, elements. It's dealing with these deeper emotional ties, um, deeper emotional logic, even emotional logic. What does that mean? Um, what I mean by either both both deep emotions. And complex themes and complex um, rationale for why those themes are playing out. That's what I. That's a contrast. So, The Dark Knight by Christopher Nolan is uh, a film that would be on the much deeper end of the spectrum. Um, so, what is your rating scale of one to ten? Ten being the deepest for Watchmen. I gave it an eight, um, and again, I'm not sure how well it would stack up with other stories I would call deep. Um, I think the reason it's not, you know, quite a nine or a 10 is maybe because, well, like I said, it's, it, you know, it's much deeper than, than most superhero movies. You know, I usually give those maybe a four, something like that. Um, mm. It seems like a lot of its depth is in a very specific area like it, it seems like it's making a point. Well, I know it's making a point and it's making that point in multiple ways, I think in all the facets of the story, but it's kind of all the same point. Um, so I guess it's, it's pretty deep about one or two things, um, but not a whole lot else. Yeah. One of the things I've noticed, I actually appreciate you said that because one of the things I've noticed and we haven't done our BVS Batman V Superman um, podcast yet we're probably gonna do that pretty soon actually um, but one of the things I've noticed about BVS is that it tries to be very deep by having a lot of characters with a lot of different worldviews and actually that almost gives the story a lack of cohesion so contrast that with like the Dark Knight or Batman Begins which is very deep but around one or two central themes and you get a different perspective. I think it works better in a two hour film. Obviously this is like a two and a half, three hour film, but 
the point being there is I think you're like 100% right is that that one of the I think it's good that he centers it on a few uh, critical points of depth. However, it's interesting because as opposed to um, like the Dark Knight or Batman Begins where they go really deep into um, emotional, spiritual, uh, and rationale behind one or two themes. This is like one theme with like a couple different um, aspects of depth, but... He doesn't like. There's no. There's not a lot of spiritual depth in this film. Right. Um. That's kind of not a thing. So yeah, I, I gave it a. I gave it an eight point five. So we're ba- we're basically still like in the same. So far, we're very consistent. Which actually keeps happening. Um. On the show, so that's kind of funny. Uh. All right. So let's move on to likelihood to refer. What on us? Uh, obviously, ten being definitely would refer. What's your rating on this one? Uh, this one's kind of hard. But I ended up giving it a five um, because, again, I think I think it is really good. But also, I think I would only refer it to a very specific type of person or someone who I knew could get past, you know, some of the content and the violence. Um, it'd be a very case by case basis. I'm not just gonna be <laughs> like, hey, you you should check this out. Yeah, it's not something you refer to a twelve year old. That's not, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> um, I put it at a nine, uh-huh. um, but I would also give the caveat that um, it, this is not, you know, a lot of people watch superhero films, a lot of non-geeks, I'll say non-geeks, right? People who don't like read the comics, they just go to the movies to be entertained. Um, I don't even think that most of them would like this film all that much. Uh, it's It's... Analyze. It's very much analyzing uh, what it is to be a superhero, or in this case, a pseudo superhero, um, and what that looks like in the world, and what kind of things happen in the world if that's the case. So, in some ways, in some ways, I think Alan Moore's story is kind of satirical, um, not humorous, so, but like just satirical, and it's it's kind of mockery of the genre almost. So yeah, I agree with you 100%. This I would refer this only to a select group of people. However, um for that group of people, I would I'm very likely to recommend it to them. Uh so and and a lot of other people too, it's just I don't know that they'll like it all that much. So that's our review. So Nathan was a quality 8.5, story depth 8 and a likelihood to refer of a 5. Um, my quality was a nine, my story depth was an 8.5, and then my likelihood to refer was a nine. So obviously I'm a big fan of this movie. Um, let's go ahead and dive into the questions, and um, I will tackle the first question, uh, which is, this film is set in the 1980s, but it's an alternate 1980s than we actually experienced. So the question is, what do you think it says about the current environment within the United States that Nixon has been elected to a third term within the Watchmen? Uh, and, I, and I asked this question because we've only seen one three-term president, unless I'm mistaken on my history, in the history of the United States. Um, that was FDR. And it came at a very tenuous time in our history, and it seemed to make sense for him to be elected to a third term. Uh, now we're seeing Nixon elected to a third term and in the context in which he is elected in the film. And by the way, now we're getting into major spoilers. So 
spoiler alert, leave the podcast if you have not watched the show or if you care about spoilers. If you don't care, stick around. We'd love to have you. Um, so Nixon's been elected to this third term. And in the context, it seems is, you know, the film is constantly playing with, hey, you really do know what happened. So we kind of know that Nixon was a crook. And that sets up this thing where it, it seems like there's liberty and freedom is being lost in the United States as opposed to blossoming. This is a time where we have what appears to be um, Nixon as a pseudo dictator who's maybe talking about how there's freedom, but that's not the case really at all. And the setup for that is that obviously he's been extremely successful in crushing the Vietnam war and he's successful because of Dr. Manhattan. That's the only reason he's successful and it's a very violent period, but there are other superpowers in the world that have also continued to expand probably because they have uh, been unchallenged by Nixon. And so we see like Russia and I think we even see a shot of Fidel Castro in there. So there's a setup of the Cold War that's happening. And it's a Cold War that was actually true in the 1980s where Russia and the United States had these giant nuclear arsenals at their disposal. However, in, in this case, we're much closer to uh, nuclear fallout and potentially the destruction of the world. And a lot of that, I think, is due to the fact that it's Nixon. And they're saying that the current environment in the United States is pretty bad. There's a lot of civil unrest. Uh, Nixon is clearly managing the country as a dictator would, as opposed to somebody who is um, kind of promoting freedom, if you will. So that's kind of my take on it, is that the environment is a dark one. It's a very dark one. Uh, technology has advanced, but... Um, even there's some economic issues. There's obviously the rich are really rich and the poor seem really poor. Uh, there's a backlash against the watchmen because it seems like the watchmen are maybe Nixon's henchmen. Although then he institutes the Keen Act and says you can't be a superhero. You can't act as a superhero. Um, so it's an interesting time. So anything that you would, anything that you would add to that analysis? No, I think that that covers it pretty well. Yeah, that covers it all. So, so the setting that we're given for the Watchmen is a setting that is it's dark. It's fairly gritty. The people don't have a lot of hope. It's sort of like right after Obama was elected, there was a lot of talk of hope and how we were going to hopefully come out of the recession that we had been in, um, or at least had been started. Now, this... For Nixon in his third term in The Watchmen, it's like the antithesis of that. And I'm not saying that everybody felt hope when, when, when around Obama. I'm just saying like there was a general feel in the country. Like, for example, just the election of an African-American president. We'd overcome a hurdle. And in this case, it's almost like we, were, we, we are doing the opposite because we are keeping with Nixon, who we know was corrupt. And so we're going, oh, man, how corrupt does the United States have to be to keep electing Nixon, especially if you're at the brink of nuclear disaster. So that's sort of the setup that we then find these characters in. Um, which brings me to the second question. The only character from The Watchmen, and really the only character in the entire film that has superpowers, and this is very true in the comic book, is Dr. Manhattan. Um, and yet, these average human beings who put on superhero costumes and fight crime are incredibly famous. They get a lot of attention. Uh, there's even rivalries between, uh, you know, non-superhero superheroes and their and the, and, and non-supervillains. Um, so, 
my question, I have a couple questions. What do you think plays into that? And why did Alan Moore, who wrote the comic, as I mentioned earlier, why did he not give his characters superpowers? Maybe just the main reason in general is that it feels like he really wanted the story to be as grounded as possible. And even when you, you try to have a realistic superhero story, it does, you know, the more, the more super people you have show up, the more ridiculous it gets in, in that it's like, oh, well, this is like real life, but now, hey, there's 56 magical people, you know, around doing stuff. Um, <laughs> right. And it, it almost feels like if, if he's trying to make it more grounded, you kind of have to get away from like the real superhero type characters. And I think the other part is it, it seems like one of the main themes of the story is essentially that humanity is pretty horrible um, and, <laughs> and people will give in to doing bad things with just a little push. Um, and so I think it also helps that pretty much all the characters are very human except for obviously uh, Dr. Manhattan, who then serves to kind of show the opposite of that and his take on it as being outside um, humanity. Although then, you know, later as we kind of come to find is he's not really as outside of humanity as he would prefer to think. Mm. And he actually does some of the same stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, a, that's exactly what my take kind of was too. In this, and this is why I call it satire. Maybe satire is the wrong word, but it's completely ridiculous. Well, let's go back. In the golden age of comics, and when comics first started, these heroes really felt like the Greek gods. And it wasn't that they didn't have their, well, it, it, they were even different than the Greek gods because the Greek gods have a lot of flaws. But when we got comic books and we got these superheroes and things, you know, we had Superman was uh, the Superman exemplified truth, justice in the American way. Uh, and they, they, were, they were very perfect characters. And so they, they put on these ridiculous outfits. And it's really kind of amazing that we accept superhero superheroes and superhero outfits today because it's literally like i'm gonna i'm a dude and i'm gonna go put on uh, some spandex and a cape and then i'm gonna fly around and do stuff like it's completely <laughs> ridiculous in so many ways and i think that's one of the reasons like you said that if you if you were to say let's take real people and who don't have superpowers and let's put them in a position of they're gonna don outfits that are completely ridiculous outfits and they're going to go fight crime. Like, how crazy does that sound? That sounds totally crazy. Um, so I think he's making fun of comics. I think, he, I mean, the, the guy, I think, loves comics. He made his career in comics. Um, though he is an interesting guy, Alan Moore. I'm referring to Alan Moore. He, he is an interesting guy. So I think he is also, he wrote a book about how to write comics. And then he wrote another book about, like, forget everything I said in the last book. That was just funny. Um... So I think you're right. I think this is, it's, what would it be like if human beings just did this? Um, and they're not perfect because we know human beings aren't perfect. In fact, and of course, over the course of time, characters like Superman um, 
became not perfect because the writers of those books went like, wow, this is kind of ridiculous that he's so perfect. What if we just change things up? What if all of his motivations are not pure all the time? And um, so I think it's a very interesting premise. And like you said, giving superpowers to Dr. Manhattan makes it even more interesting because now you have the exact opposite just from one character. So the Reclamation Society definition of a villain it's the, basically, it's the, it's the definition that I ascribe to, so I ascribe it to our organization. We <laughs> have um, oh, yeah, an official codex. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, but the definition of a villain is not just someone who does bad things, but rather someone who is actively pursuing self-interest, their own self-interest. They're very selfish. Zil- villains behave in selfish ways, whereas heroes believe, behave in selfless ways. They are out there to help other people where villains are out to get something for themselves or those closely aligned to them. So with that definition in mind, who do you think the villain of the film is? Using that definition, um, even though in general, you know, you'd usually say it was Ozymandias um, because he is kind of driving the, the criminal plot forward and you know it it is all his his doing i suppose he could be selfish in that he doesn't want the world destroyed um but he also seems to be taking on a more higher level of thinking and he's just like well it looks like this has to happen if we don't want the earth destroyed so it doesn't quite fit that definition quite as well um, probably the one who actually fits it the best is the comedian, as we see multiple times, where he just kind of does what he wants because he can do what he wants, except that he also doesn't have a whole lot of effect on the plot itself. Um, so he's just kind of around, you know, doing villainous things periodically to kind of show to what depths um, someone who kind of already ascribes to this philosophy of vigilantism Uh, can sink because basically you know by definition a vigilante is just hey i'm gonna do what needs to get done and basically the end justifies the means and so what you know what does that mean if you just if you have a bunch of somewhat crazy people who all ascribe to that (laughs) philosophy you know what what's what's kind of going to be the end (laughs) result of that so yeah it in some ways it's it's most of them possibly even Dr. Manhattan, you know, even the ones that definitely seem more focused on the altruism, like Night Owl and Silk Spectre, um, who actually go out and try to save people and things like that, even they seem to get a really big kick out of beating up thugs, probably a little more viciously than they need to. Exactly. (laughs) And again, in general, I think, you know, maybe the the entire point of the story is essentially the watchmen can all be villains along with humanity who's also a villain so (laughs) basically everyone is horrible i think that's what alan moore thinks (laughs) yeah so in this okay so this is one of the reasons i really like this film is that it is it is well in in the book is based on it is asking it's asking this really important question that i don't think i think a lot of people have an answer to this question without actually pondering it for a second and what i mean by that is you will either ascribe to 
one or two basic beliefs, and I, I apologize in advance for making this such a simple thing because I think it's more complex than that. But you will either say that people are inherently bad or people are inherently good. And there's some nuances to that, right? So for example, I would say that people were created. So they're just by me using the word created, you know where my worldview is at. But I would say that people were created to be good, but something about our nature was changed. And now people, despite the fact that I think most people want to do good, so I'll discount it by saying that, I think so. We're, we are more likely to look out for our own needs as opposed to looking out for the needs of someone else. So this is why I like this film, because basically there's a worldview that's being expressed that can we really trust human beings to protect us when human beings are inherently looking out for themselves? And therefore, you're, I think you're, you broke it down really the exact right way. Most of the characters in this film do some very selfish things and therefore could be villains. I think there are some characters in the film who do some more selfless things than selfish things. And therefore, we can consider them to be somewhat more of a hero. Um, and we'll, we have some other deeper questions about the actual plot device that's being used at the end of this film as you mentioned, like the Ozymandias, is he a villain? Is he not a villain? And why? And that's kind of flipped on its head because we, we immediately think that we know that he's the villain. And then we see later on that we're like, oh, wait a minute, maybe he's not the villain. And it's because we ask the question, if he's asked, if he's acting out of his own self-interest or if he's, you know, acting out of a bigger picture. So I think you're right in saying that the comedian is the only villain, but even the comedian it's a fairly complex character, and it's fairly, I mean, let's face it, the guy's a complete scumbag. Um, you know you're, you know you've gotten to be an incredibly bad person if you impregnate someone and then kill them because you don't want to deal with it. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Yeah, that's, that's a sign that you have some issues. I'm just going to put that out there. If you're listening to this podcast and you've done that, turn yourself in, you creep. Um, that is, yeah, that's bad. Uh, so now granted, even I would say even someone that does that level of terrible, terrible, terrible thing, I think can still be redeemed spiritually because that's my belief system, but you still need to face the consequences for doing that. And that's a very serious, absolutely horrendous thing to do. And actually related to that, it is kind of interesting that he really is the only character that, that does seem to show remorse about any of the things he's done yes um, which we do get to see um and, and and basically yeah no one else does yeah and actually that's where i was i was exactly where i was going with that statement is that even though he is the most villainous character of them all he has more emotional heartache over not only his own behavior but of ozymandias actually carrying out his plan than anybody else in the film does really except for maybe rorschach right um who by the way despite being a very disgruntled person <laughs> um, at best is probably the closest thing to a hero that the film has to offer us so really fascinating I, and i like that this is where the depth of the film really comes in because that particular worldview is a really important one 
for us to consider. And this story, I think, helps us flush out what that might look like for our own worldviews. So I like that part of it. So Dr. Manhattan specifically, he sort of comes off as this, he's sort of like a non-hero, non-villain. He's somewhat ambivalent. Like you said, he does have these, these brief scenes where we realize he is still connected to the human race, even as disconnected as he's becoming to the human race. Um, so what do you think Dr. Manhattan's worldview is and how has developing superpowers changed him? Well, it feels like it both has and hasn't changed him. On, on the one hand, it obviously makes him so smart that he can basically understand anything, um, or at least anything technical. Um, you know, and he even see the future, although only his own future. So again, he's not an omniscient, as he says. And I think because of that, he feels like he should be above it all. And so initially it feels like that's kind of how you're supposed to view him is, you know, he's essentially just this godlike character who's now above it all. And that's kind of how everyone in the, in the story feels about him, including himself, I think. But that actually, you know, turns out to be one of the plot twists is that Ozymandias is able to, realize that that's not quite the case and and essentially use that against him to to manipulate him and you you also see cases of him not being entirely objective you know he likes to blow people up a bit much um <laughs> you know he doesn't have to he could he could do so many other things so you you still see a little bit of that human tendency for for evil in there and the biggest example is, well, it's kind of a, the two-part thing where, where Ozymandias' plan to, to get him to leave Earth so he doesn't get involved. Um, obviously, that works. So, so he does at least have enough emotion left to, to respond to the thought that, that he was giving people cancer. Um, but then once he's made the decision to leave um, and you have Silk Spectre trying to convince him to come back, he does change his mind kind of abruptly um, after essentially just you know thinking about her, who her parents are and how she came to be. And, and he comes up with this whole basically soliloquy about how miraculous it is that you know, she exists and all that. And at first that could almost be taken as lazy writing. You know, it's like, well, it's time for him to change his mind. So he's going to, um, <laughs> not, not that other movies, for your example, your name Batman is Martha. Your name is Martha. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> um, but we've already seen in the plot that he is not completely objective. So it, it really almost comes off as he kind of needs to convince himself that there's a good reason for him to come back. Um, and so I, I actually think that works fine, um, that it makes sense with his character. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought that, I did think that that, of all, of all the moments in the film, that particular moment, from a plot perspective, is the weakest. Um, and, and I think you're right, though. It's made stronger by the fact that he's just looking for an excuse to be able to say that he still cares. 
And so it's sort of a weak excuse. But if he considers that like a really strong excuse, it's like, man, that's a pretty weak one in my mind. But, you know, maybe other people think differently. Um, I think you hit all the major points for sure. Like this is a guy who, if you were developing superpowers, you know, there's an interesting, uh, Jesus Christ says this interesting phrase uh, or sentence where he says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And that isn't so much, I don't think, that isn't so much a, a, uh, a stab or a um, condemnation of rich people. I think what it is, it, it's, it's basically what's happening to Dr. Manhattan. And that is to say that the more we are accustomed to taking care of ourselves, and, you, and let's face it, when you're rich, you have a lot of resources to be able to take care of yourself. The less likely we are to put our trust in any sort of higher power. If you're super poor and you don't have much and you're reliant upon other people um, or you're reliant upon a supernatural be- being to help take care of you, that changes your dynamic significantly. And I think that we see some of that that phrase is embodied in Dr. Manhattan. And, you, and I think we even see, it's not like that's, that makes him completely bereft of understanding other people and wanting to take care of other people. But it certainly is a distinction that has changed his life in a pretty significant way. So I like that part of it. I, like, I really like Dr. Manhattan's character from that perspective. I think that they pull, off, pull that off in some pretty powerful ways the fact that he, so obviously the last thing I want to see is naked blue dude. Um, <laughs> however, I think in the context of where he is supposed to be mentally, like, yeah, cl- clothes don't matter. Right. <laughs> like who gives a shit about clothes if you have the kind of power and knowledge that he has? In fact, he's. I think that that's actually a way in which it makes sense that he's like, well, clothes really don't matter. You all think clothes matter, but clothes really don't matter. It's like not a thing that really should, that we should be worried about. Um, so even that, even though I don't love that, and there's obviously, you know, you don't, you don't have to be gratuitous about it. We know, we know that the guy is not wearing any clothes. You don't have to um, make it, you know, R-rated uh, by having full frontal nudity, which the movie has, by the way. So that's a warning for you. Um, I do think that that's an important character trait, even the way that, even though the way that, that they pull it off, I think is maybe a little too gratuitous. Hey guys, pardon my brief interruption here, but do you need a new pair of headphones? If you do, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Urban Vinyl. They make premium wood headphones that look amazing. But here's the thing: they're made by audiophiles for audiophiles, so they sound as good as they look. In fact, reviewers have called the classics, the version of the headphones that they sell, the best headphones on the market. They're what I wear when I record this podcast. So please consider purchasing a pair using our link in the show notes. If you buy through our link, you save 15% and Urban Vinyl will make a donation to the Reclamation Society. Super generous of them. We really appreciate it. Thanks for letting me interrupt. Now let's get back to the show. So next question is, are the watch are the watchmen trustworthy? Why or why not? Well, I think the whole point of the story is no way. 
again, because it's like, well, these are all people and you're kind of giving them free reign to do whatever they think is necessary to do whatever they think they need to do. Um, and basically this is what happens. All of this stuff. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think, um, I think that's exactly right. I would say the same thing. I think in my mind, that was sort of a, that was sort of when this, when this graphic novel came out, I think that that was more of a, uh, counter countercultural, I guess, take at that point in time, because I, I think before that, and I'm not the comics expert and the comics historian that somebody like Bobby Nash or even Tim Posada is our other podcast guests we've had, but in the, in the, in with the, at the time the story came out, I think it was very much again, let's turn comics on their head and showcase how ridiculous some of this stuff is. Cause you trust Superman. And you trust Batman and you trust some of these characters who are they really trustworthy? And if they were to have some significant problems in their life, you know, what would happen to them? And I think he's, he's playing that out here. And I think you're right. They're just, they're really not trustworthy. They're, let me put it this way. They're as trustworthy as anybody else. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and on the other hand, and maybe even less so because now they have more means to be less trustworthy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. essentially. I mean, because essentially the whole thing is every one of the characters just shows that same philosophy to different degrees. Um, the whole essentially end justifies the means. And even the entire, you know, main plot of the whole movie, Ozymandias's scheme, it's exactly the same thing. He's like, well, um, it's up to me to stop the world from being destroyed. So I've got to do this, which is the same as someone saying, well, I got to catch this guy because the police won't. Um, and it's just, he, he has a little bit more power than the, everyone else, uh, to, to pull off this type of thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and I think, you know, it's interesting. We are recording this podcast on Martin Luther King Jr. Day observed in the United States. And I think it'd be hard to find a better example of leadership in, in, the, in the history of the United States than Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. But we even know from historical records that even he was a very flawed character in some regards. And so I think that we can't have an expectation that people would be perfect. Um, and I think this movie does a good job of kind of exemplifying that. Um, but that also doesn't preclude us from investing in people because of their other talents and abilities or the other ways that they can add good to the world. So it becomes a dangerous balance because it is a, what can we trust in people to do? What can we rely upon people to do? And how can we set up systems that help people behave correctly? Um, and even if there's a perfect system, which there's no such thing, people will still find a way to not act right. But how can we, how can we encourage people to be um, the best human beings that they can be, even though we know that we can't rely upon all people in all ways for all things, which is a good segue into the next question because every character has deep flaws. So what do you think 
and we've already covered this one in, in a lot of depth, but we'll just go ahead and bring out some highlights. What do you think that Alan Moore and subsequently Zack Snyder, as he makes this film, what do you think these two have to say about human nature? Uh, like you said, uh, we've hit on a lot of this previously. Um, I think the one thing that I hadn't mentioned before is I do have this quote from Rorschach, which I think does kind of sum up a lot of what the story is trying to say. <laughs> and, and he's like, God doesn't make the world this way we do. Um, you'll see this a lot where someone's philosophy is like, wow, you know, God must be horrible or unfeeling to have the world be this bad. Um, and on the other hand, it's like, well, if you have free will, this is going to kind of show you what people are able to do. <laughs> and, and, and Rorschach kind of points that out that whether or not there is a God or, or whatever, it doesn't, it doesn't matter quite as much because it's people who have screwed so much up basically. Yeah. I think that's a, it's a really interesting Rorschach is a fascinating character and we're going to talk about him in more depth, but I love that quote from him. Um, because and obviously I think of Rorschach as somewhat more of, he's either like a fundamentalist Christian. If he's a Christian, he's not a lot of grace in Rorschach or he is a agnostic who's like, well, it's not God's fault. It's our fault, but God doesn't really care about us that much. So we can do whatever we want. Um, he's, he's one of those kind of perspectives. Right. Right. But, um, it's fascinating to me. And this is the movie's not tackling this specifically. So this is maybe not totally fair, but when you, I like that he says that, that quote, because, you know, I'll hear that a lot of times in circles where people will say, well, in fact, actually, it's the perspective of Lex Luthor in Batman versus Superman, because he says um, God can't be all powerful and uh, good. He can be good, but not all powerful, but he can't be both. And um, and I think there's a misconception. So I, I, I get over that hurdle pretty fast. And so, but I know a lot of people get tripped up by that. And the reason I get over that hurdle pretty fast is like you just said, if human beings have free will, then what you're saying is that we have the choice to do bad things. We have the chance choice to be wicked or evil people. We have the choice to act selfishly. Now, if we exercise that choice, then what you're saying is God must step in and do something to us. God must punish us in some way or, or as we're about to make the choice, he has to remove it from us. And then guess what? We don't have free will anymore. So if we're going to allow people to have free will, if God is going to allow people to have free will, then at the same time, you can't really complain too much about evil because human beings are the ones that are committing these, these evils, right? Then what you have to ask yourself, the question is, and this goes back to what I think more closely tied into the film this is where it comes in where you have to make a decision that people are either inherently good or inherently evil. And the reason you have to do that is because you have to get to a place where you, if you say that God shouldn't allow people to be evil, then you're basically saying God shouldn't allow people to have free will. If you then say um, that God should punish people from, for doing evil, then you're essentially saying, there are certain people who are good and everyone's inherently good until they choose not to be, or certain people are inherently good and certain people are inherently bad. And therefore that's just the way the world works. And God should be taking out the bad people. 
I think what this film is saying is it does make a pretty powerful statement that all of these characters are inherently bad and perhaps have some ways of behaving good as well. Uh, but it's setting up a pretty complex thing that must we must answer those questions if we want to be able to root for any of them, if we want to be able to understand where they're coming from. We have to be able to go deeper into their this not only their psychology, not only our psychology, but our theology and our philosophy on how the world has been shaped and how people have been shaped. So I love that quote. That's a great quote. Okay, so moving on. Uh, we must destroy what is in order to rebuild something better is a very common supervillain plot. Uh, I think it's used oftentimes because, you know, it's very strange when we see a villain who is um, completely evil just for, like, no good reason. Even, even the Joker in, like, The Dark Knight. Uh, we talked about this at length in our, in our Dark, Dark Knight podcast, but he he's a fascinating character for a lot of reasons um, and, and has reasons for doing what he does. He has reasons for that. So I think this is a really common supervillain plot because basically it's like, well, I'm not totally a bad guy. I'm trying to rebuild something better. It just so happens that you don't like what I'm going to rebuild and you don't like what I have to do to get there. Um, so Watchmen's take is slightly different because it's more of a to avoid a dystopian future we must hurt a small group of people in this in this regard it's actually kind of a large group of people in order to save the world at large so we have to take out we have to take out a geographic area in order to save the world so the intent and you mentioned this earlier but the intent is the intent is to prevent the destruction of the earth so of all the watchmen which one do you find yourself agreeing with when it comes to this solution? So talk about it. Talk about a put yourself out there question. Um, again, it's it's hard to say if you you know officially side with anyone, but I think probably my response would be, I would imagine closest to Night Owl, who basically is like, he he definitely doesn't think it was the right thing to do. Um, and he's kind of horrified by it. Um, but he does say, well, now that it's done, it would almost cause more of a problem to expose why it happened. Um, because then you're basically undoing everything that was done and possibly making it worse. Um, whereas, you know, Dr. Manhattan, he says he understands it without condoning or condemning um mm. again trying to just be above it all he's like yeah it makes sense doesn't matter if you kill a bunch of people and <laughs> and and again you know and you know and that's how the movie ends is he basically continues that line of thought and he's like well since i think that makes the most sense i don't care if i have to you know kill rorschach to keep him from spoiling it mm. uh whereas you know i don't think night owl would have done that night owl probably doesn't agree that Rorschach should tell everyone, but he's not going to kill him to stop him. Right. Um, obviously with Rorschach himself, you know, that's an interesting one because he's so set on kind of the justice of the situation 
that he doesn't care what consequences his actions might have, um, just as long as he's able to out what Ozymandias did, um, which in some ways is then finally, at this point, at the very end of the movie, he is essentially now trying to do the same thing, you know, that we've been saying is a problem with all the other superheroes, essentially, is that, you know, sort of this way, the, the end would justify the means for him. He's like, I don't care if, again, it throws everything into chaos and maybe destroys the earth. I, I've decided I need to do this one thing. Right. Yes. Yeah, so you're going to, you're going to go with night owl. I'm going to say, okay, so how would I actually act in real life? It's hard to know. But I find myself agreeing with Rorschach. Now, I think this is this is interesting, right? Because there are two basic philosophical approaches to trying to achieve a better society. The one philosophical approach is the ends justifies the means. And therefore, you know, it is, it is, it is okay. Obviously, Mandius basically falls into this category. It's okay if we do a few bad things, if the result is good things. In this case, that's pretty, I mean, the, the bad and good is pretty extreme, right? Um, you have to kill a bunch of people to prevent the entire world from being destroyed. I mean, I, like, talk about extreme. That's pretty extreme. Um, the other perspective is, no, it is incumbent upon us to improve our own individual character and to root out areas where we see wrongdoing happening. And that is how we will move society forward. And I will admit to you that I think that the reality is pretty gray because while I do think that the only thing that you can truly control is your character, and even that, because I believe that people are inherently um, bad, that we are inherently, and when I say that, I don't mean everyone's just like a bad person. I mean, what, what I mean by that is that we are inherently selfish. So therefore, we, as opposed to, to acting out of other people's um, interests, we tend to act out of our own interests. So. I think it's incumbent upon each and every individual to then work on their character um, so that they can work so that we can work together as people all trying to move toward the same goal and achieve the same things that are good. Uh, however, um, it is very difficult when a system is put in place that rewards acting out of your own self-interest, even to the benefit of the greater population or the greater, uh, the, there is some greater good achieved by you doing that. So that's a challenge. That's, that, I don't know exactly where to go with that. Um, so if I'm being completely honest, I probably side somewhere between Night Owl and Rorschach, but I do appreciate Rorschach's quest for truth as it were. He's not a gray person. He's a very black and white person. <laughs> this is wrong, and therefore you deserve the consequences, and I'm going to administer them to you. Um, so there's a part of me that says, like, yeah, we we have to stop trying to control systems. You know, okay, I'm going to go on another rant for just a brief period of time. 
one of the reasons I believe why we have a political system in place that is so <sighs> polarized is because those two political parties are attempting to achieve their own, they're trying to benefit themselves and their constituencies. So well, that's what I believe is happening about those two parties. And so we have a Democratic Party, we have a Republican Party. Both of them are running party lines for the sake of running party lines because they know that will help them get their people elected. It will help them get money. It will help them achieve uh, what they want to achieve. If we were really sitting down and saying, like, what's the best system that we could build right now? Obviously, we, have, we all have different philosophical beliefs about what systems are best. Um, but that would be in a, we'd be in a much better place than we are today with our political system. And I think that that's true in most cases. Focus on yourself and what you could do better. And then influence those people around you so that we're all doing better and have really good conversations as opposed to just running your own line. And I don't think I would, I would, I would, so I'd accuse Rorschach of being like, he's just going to do his thing regardless. Uh, and that's bad. Um, and then you have a guy like Night Owl, who I agree with you. He's like sort of in the middle. He's like, ah, pff, I don't know what to do. Like, it's going to be worse if I say something, but it's bad enough as it is. Um, so I appreciate Rorschach's action orientation, but I believe he's too black and white about it. Um, and of course, I don't like Ozymandias' solution. Because if that's what we have to invest in to be able to overcome these significant issues, that says a lot about us as a people. And it also says a lot about, I mean, how, how, how is that any different than Nixon? Because Nixon went to Vietnam and said, I'm going to bring Dr. Manhattan and the comedian, who's a complete scumbag, and they're just going to wipe people out. So that's a very difficult one. I think that requires a lot of self-reflection into, into what can you do differently in your own life. And obviously these are characters in the movie, but I think that helps us ask these questions. And I like that. So it's kind of cool. Okay. So, uh, last question, and then we'll break down some of the characters a little further. This is, uh, I asked this question in one of the videos that we did and I put it out on social media and no one ever answered it, but we're going to answer it now. Uh, Rorschach's journal serves as more than just fancy exp exposition, basically, uh, because at the end of the film, it serves as one, the one source of truth for what really happened. So basically what happens is Rorschach is journaling um, throughout this mystery that's unfolding. He's journaling his evidence, so to speak. He's journaling what's really going on. What they discover is that Ozymandias is basically going to destroy... It's New York, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think it's New York. I could be wrong about that. Ozymandias is going to destroy New, New York, blame Dr. Manhattan for it, which, by the way, is a little bit different than the comic. But he's going to blame Dr. Manhattan for it. So that Russia and the United States will see Dr. Manhattan as a common enemy and then work together as opposed to going to nuclear war with one another. Because they're on the brink of nuclear war. The Mike, so this is what happens. Uh, Rorschach, before he goes to confront Ozymandias and try and stop him from destroying New York, um, he puts his journal in an envelope and mails it to a newspaper Therefore, this newspaper has all of the evidence to prove that Ozymandias is the one that used, uh, didn't use Dr. Manhattan, so to speak, in a way he did, but used, uh, made it look like Dr. Manhattan um, destroyed New York. Therefore, proving that 
you can you can you basically that the villain in this case from Nixon and Russia's perspective wasn't truly Dr. Manhattan. Therefore, uh, it was actually Ozymandias. Therefore, they can go right back to to nuking each other if they want to. So I apologize for all the context for those of you who have seen the film, but just in case you haven't. So as the film comes to a close, the newspaper organization has now received Rorschach's journal. And then the film ends. So my question is to you, Nathan, what do you think happens with that journal after it is reported on and more people are exposed to what happened? I almost think that it seems likely that it almost wouldn't have any effect, which would be interesting. The movie starts out with the comedian saying, you know, it's all a joke. It'd be interesting if this was essentially the, the final joke of the, of the story in that it's like, well, oh, it looks like Rorschach failed, but oh wait, here's his journal and they're going to publish it. But, but really, you know, Rorschach has even made multiple comments throughout the story that, you know, everyone thinks he's crazy. And especially if you have the rest of the Watchmen sticking to their stories, um, it, it really seems pretty unlikely that it's going to get much traction mm. and really have any effect at all. Um, and, and again, it depends, you know, I don't know how much, how much checkable facts are in there or, you know, how deep it goes, or if it's essentially just what he's, he's said in the voiceovers, mm. um, which may not be super compelling. Right. <laughs> Especially with all the other stuff weaved in there. <laughs> right. Um, it's interesting, but it, it just might be another level of, oh, well, yeah, that doesn't matter because people aren't going to listen to you anyway mm. after all that. <laughs> right, right. But I don't know. That could be reading too much into it. Yeah, I think, actually, I tend to agree with you. I, th I tend to think that even if published, um, in fact, what, I haven't read a, any of the subsequent Watchmen stories. Um, in fact, there was a fairly recent, after the movie came out, there was a fairly recent series that was released, I believe, that involved some of the characters. So I didn't read any of that. Um, I actually kind of like to, but I do agree with you that it's, he's sort of, I think, going to be seen as a conspiracy theorist. And what yeah. would be really interesting would be to see if there was another superhero or a group of superheroes who really aren't superheroes who sort of took up the cause um, to go fight on his behalf, almost, like they believed in the conspiracy, uh, even though if the world didn't. That would be really an interesting side story coming out of this. Um, but I, after I reflected on it, I felt the same way. Like, I don't think anyone's going to believe him, even if they find it. And even if they did find it, you know, you would hope that somehow Nixon would not achieve a fourth term and... There would be a better system in the country, uh, both Russia and the United States, for dealing with this conflict. And that by the time it was all found out, it'd be like, oh, oh well, I guess we really screwed that one up. But fortunately, we didn't go to war. Um, but who knows? I think that the concern that, oh, well, if we spill the beans on this to everyone now, it's going to go right back into nuclear war. I don't know that I, I don't know that I would agree with that. So... Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you that the conspiracy theory will just be that and won't be nothing else will happen to it. All right. So 
uh, just lastly, and I know we've been going for a little while now, uh, but just quickly break down some of the characters and just ask some questions like what drives them? What are their goals? Do they have a fatal flaw? If so, what is it? And then also, what do you think their spiritual take is on the world at large? So um, anything you'd say that you picked up on the, what the film is saying, sort of like, what is Night Owl? What is his goal? What does he want? What are his needs? What is his fatal flaw? What, what do you think? I don't know. He, he does seem to almost be the most normal, if you can call them that. Right. Um, you know, sort of a, a less grumpy Batman. But yeah, he, he really does seem like his goal is basically to make a positive difference. Uh, we see multiple times where he tries to um, keep, keep some of the other members, I think probably usually just the comedian, you know, from being as extreme as they want to be. Um, yeah, I mean, other than that, I don't, I don't feel like we have a whole lot of information. Yeah. I do think we, we, I agree with you. He's like sort of like the guy we want to most root for him and Rorschach um, are, and, and Silk Spectre too. The, the trio, that trio is like who we're most rooting for in the film. I think, um, I think we're sympathetic to Night Owl because it's almost like he just wants to relive the glory days and he feels fairly lost in life without something that's, he says, he says to one of the former watchmen when he's meeting with one of the former, I believe it's his dad and the former night owl. I don't, it might not be his dad, but I believe it's the former night owl. Yeah. I think that at least. Yeah. And, and he says, no, I don't miss it, but you do not believe him when he says he doesn't <laughs> miss it at all. Right. Um, and I think his fatal flaw is that he wants to feel needed. And I think you can see that because Silk Spectre, when she needs him, he responds to her. Uh, and then they develop a relationship. And I think that's sort of his fatal flaw is that he needs to feel valued and needed. And he felt like that as a superhero. But now that he's not a superhero, he's craving it. Um, which I think is kind of interesting. I think from a spiritual perspective, what would you say is... What would you say he his belief system is like if you were to label him as something i wouldn't even know how to make a guess <laughs> yeah i would say I, i'm not sure i know how to make a guess either but i think this is kind of a fun exercise uh i would say that he could fit a number of different worldviews. i think that he could be i actually think of all the characters in the in the movie he is most likely to be um, a Christian. Now, obviously, he has some fatal flaws. Like, for example, it's like one of the worst scenes in the entire movie is are the, the several sex scenes between him and Silk Spectre. And I say that they're the worst in the movie because just the way that they're done is so over the top. Um, and again, we talked about over the top. That's kind of what Zack Snyder does. Right. <laughs> he kind of does over the top. But And so he succumbs to this desire to be needed and wanted. But I think that that's kind of inherent in a lot of um, people, Christians, non-Christians, whatever. But I do think he has, of all of the characters, he has the best balance of... Um, wanting to act out of justice and having a good view for what the world should look like 
and simultaneously having grace for people as well. Um, I think that that's kind of true of him. So I think he could be sort of your your struggling Christian who's trying to figure out why the world is so dark. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, and, and like you said, he does kind of fit almost any mold. Like, you know, if you said, oh, no, he's he's agnostic, but he still cares about people. I mean, that makes perfect sense. Or even if you said he's atheist and, you know, he still wants to make the world a better place, you know, even that would make sense. Totally. So that's, totally. that's why it's so hard. It's like, yeah, it, almost anything could fit. Yeah, you're hundred percent right. I mean, I'm putting, I'm putting, uh, I'm putting a U.S. America filter on it and thinking of what he would most likely be based on the fact that he lives here, right? Um, True. So you're absolutely True. right. Like he could be a Buddhist. He could be. I mean, I, so this, this exercise is not to put any labels on people necessarily. It's just, it's just because it's fun. Honestly, <laughs> um, maybe fun's the wrong word. It's interesting. How about Silk Spectre? She actually feels pretty similar to Night Owl, which again is probably why they're kind of drawn together and and go off on their little additional missions and stuff like that, you know, because they they finally get to do what they, you know, I'm assuming they must miss. Um, but again, other than that, you know, we don't have a whole lot of info. Yeah, she's very similar to Night Owl, like you said. I think she, where Night Owl sort of, I think, is more in a state of I don't want to use the term too lightly but he's more like he it's almost more like he's depressed uh, I think she's not depressed she's just trying to be like I don't understand why we don't just go out there and fight crime like this is what we're supposed to do like why aren't we doing this she has a, uh, I mean she's the one that encourages him to take action he wasn't going to do anything necessarily without her true you know interceding um I do think that her fatal flaw is that like Night Owl, like you're saying, their their similarity is that she needs to be needed too. Um, I think he has a more of an emotional need and she has more of a, well, I want to be out there and be famous need. I want people to know me. I want people to respect me. Um, so slightly different from those two perspectives. Do I think there's some crossover for both of them? Um, what do you think? What do you have? What do you think about her spiritual perspective? I think you know what my answer is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> it's impossible to say. I, I okay. So ne- I have never had this hard of a time trying to figure it out because this is very nuanced. And they, the only one that talks about spiritual stuff that I can think of is Rorschach or people talking about Doctor Manhattan. Right. Um. So yeah, this this one is a really tough one for me because she could really be, she could really fit any mold. I feel like she's a person though who is not pursuing spirituality at all. Not to say that she's atheist, but that I don't think she necessarily cares to pursue any of it. Uh, the comedian, how about the comedian? He seems like he basically. You know, it's all a joke and he doesn't really care and he wants to do what he wants to do, essentially. Yeah. The, the comedian is sort of like uh, a, a more human, uh, I don't know if that's the right word, a more human joker. It, right. They, they believe the same thing. The, the whole thing's a big joke. Why do people take the, this all so seriously? Like, But I think that like 
the Joker doesn't succumb to base desires the way that the comedian does. Yeah, and and also when you say more human, even though they both say it's all a joke, I think he believes it less than the Joker does. Yeah, right. Like, I think he just says that because, in a way, you know, I think he believes it, but he also knows he's just saying that because he seems to be a a nihilist basically but yep but yeah I, I think the joker really believes that it is all a joke and he just says it is exactly he doesn't know what else to say <laughs> right 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 yeah no, i think that's a very good analysis i would say this is probably a very controversial thing to say but i do believe that after at the, at the very beginning of the movie which is um uh right before he dies um I think that he is the closest one to becoming a Christian. Um, I don't think that, I think he's been an agnostic uh, his whole life, but I do believe, or even, even, even maybe a survival of the fittest atheist, perhaps. Um, I could put him in that right. category. Uh, but I do believe at the end of his life, we do see this, this regret for everything that he's done. And he's, and so even though he's, you know, saying it several times, it's a joke, we realize that he doesn't truly believe that. Because if it was really a joke, why would he be showing that emotion? But he is showing that emotion. He's going through that process. Right. So that's kind of interesting. How about Dr. Manhattan? Um, I mean, I think we've kind of covered a lot of it before. I think his goal is to find his purpose now that he can kind of do anything right um and and how he fits but i think he also still feels like he doesn't know as much as he could even he says you know he still he doesn't know if there's a god mm. um and he doesn't think he's anything like him if there is um so it's almost like he's just he's not he's still human he's just sort of an all-powerful human but he still has all those same problems and maybe they're even just exacerbated because of his intellect now and because of what he can do yeah i agree with you and i think i do believe that, like i said earlier with the jesus quote about the camel and the eye of the needle i do believe that he as he understands more about the world which like you said he almost understands how everything works right Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't think that, that knowledge is necessarily what brings people to deeper spiritual understanding. Not always. I think it can, I'm not saying it can't, but, um, knowledge can also get in the way of that because I think that we can, we can try and reason our way out of everything. And so I, I think that he's probably, um, he's probably the most likely to be very, uh, you know, especially near the end of the movie, after he's decided that he is allowed to show emotion, I think that he becomes more of a human, um, humanistic evolutionist who would say, uh, I really care. I do care about people now, but I kind of think that it all just worked out science wise. And that's just what he's going to believe. His fatal flaw, obviously, is that he is too powerful. His power is his fatal flaw in some ways. 
It's what yeah. it's what takes him away from the from the rest of humanity. Um, it's also what makes it impossible for the rest of humanity to relate to him. Um, I thought it was it was a pretty funny scene. It's so it's <laughs> he simulta- he's simultaneously um, trying to make love to Silk Spectre, and he's <laughs> simultaneously working on his um, his project and. And from her perspective, she goes, I have no idea. She's saying, that's not, you're not being intimate with me. And he's going, yeah, I am. My conscious is just as good here as it is there. Like I'm being intimate. Um, And it's sort of a, it's sort of, again, a satire on relationships where, and I'm going to use just a really stupid example, but where the guy's watching TV and the wife's like, you're not even listening to me. You're watching TV. Um, And in this case, what he's saying is, oh, I'm actually, this is true. I can be in both places at the same time. Like, this doesn't take away. Um, but we, I think we have to question whether or not that's actually true. Um, right. Because we don't exactly know where his emotional state is. Uh, how about Ozymandias? We've only got two more, Ozymandias and then Rorschach. <laughs> uh, again, we probably have almost the least backstory on him. So I think, I mean, we can see that he, he does enjoy control and being powerful and smarter than people, mm-hmm. which, you know, then again is, you know, probably also his flaw. And I get the feeling he probably also doesn't care about spirituality for essentially that same reason. Like he doesn't, he doesn't need it. Yeah, I would agree. And he almost seems like the same character as Dr. Manhattan, just more human. Like he would be really scary if he had Dr. Manhattan's powers. Right, because he he would he already knows what he would do with them, probably. Exactly, he has a master plan. I think Doctor Manhattan doesn't have any intention of playing God; he just is godlike. Right. Where Ozymandias has every intention of playing God, but without the ability to do so. Uh, although a, he's pretty close. Although he's pretty close, he is because because of his, because of his intellect, he is very close. But imagine if he had Doctor Manhattan's powers, then he'd just be. I think at that point he would probably be a supervillain. Because even even though we're given the, oh no, he's not a supervillain, he's trying to save people. I mean, this is a dude that has taken on Egyptian lore. And what did Egyptians believe? Their pharaohs were gods. Right. So this is a guy who is very, very, very narcissistic um, in his worldview. Uh, so... I would be very scared of him if he had Dr. Manhattan's powers. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting is, you know, he does have that machine in his in his secret base. Yes. So the question is how long until he, you know, tries to use it on himself. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and because he's so smart, he probably thinks he could do it in a way where he understood how to do it. And then if he became like Dr. Manhattan, yeah, that would be, maybe that's the next story. Yeah. They discover the journal, but it's too late because Ozymandias is like Dr. Manhattan <laughs> times two. Yeah, and then they they just have a punching match for ten years. <laughs> it's the longest film ever made. <laughs> oh, that would be really funny. <laughs> okay, so last character, and then we're all done with this uh, analysis of Watchmen. Uh, Rorschach. What do you think? Well, it seems like his goal is basically justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we've touched on before, his flaw is probably his, his single mindedness, you know, unwilling to back down on whatever he decides right. is what he should be doing. 
Um, and it seems, I, I, as for spirituality, you know, again, we don't really know, but he's probably at least agnostic. He seems unlikely to be an atheist. Right. I would say, I would even call him, I have some reasons for saying this. It's actually kind of fascinating to me that one of the more evil characters in President Nixon and one of the more altruistic characters in Rorschach. And I say altruistic, I mean, obviously it's a dark, gritty take on altruism. But both of them are labeled conservative in the movie. And what I mean by that is Rorschach at several times, like basically says all of you liberals who think you can just do whatever you want to do. Like you're all dirt bags, which is really, really an interesting take because it's very strange. Um, I think it's very strange. Uh, so his character and Nixon's character, I would say probably share some beliefs about the world. I think that, you know, I don't know Nixon all that well. I can go to the Nixon library and learn more about him because it's not that far from my house. But I would say that he probably is a guy who's just like Ozymandias in a way that says like, hey, ends justify the means, right? Um, and I believe that the world should look this way. And therefore, I'm going to pursue uh, making sure that the world does look that way. And I think that... He has the wrong perspective. I'm talking about Nixon now. He has the wrong perspective on how the world should look. Rorschach has a better perspective on how the world should look, but is so black and white about it that there's very little room for grace. In fact, the only like the only emotional um, scene that we get out of Rorschach that lets us even know that he's not completely off the deep end is when he's talking to Night Owl and right. they basically say like you've been a really good friend and I know it's hard to be a friend with me so he admits some weakness there so but because of because he basically is lambasting liberals and talking about he does talk about god i think it's more likely that rorschach is or has a judeo christian belief system however it is not primarily based off the teaching it's based off more of the um the law than it is based off of the teachings of Jesus. Right. Um, his, his first superhero name he came up with was like super Pharisee. <laughs> it didn't sound as cool. Exactly. Ah, uh, super scribe or Pharisee. No, no, no. That's not it. Okay. All right, fine. I'll go with Rorschach. Um, so yeah, I think that's where I would put him. I, I think he has, he doesn't have any grace whatsoever, but he has a really, really high standard for human behavior if you will. Um, and I think he's trying to execute on that. He basically thinks that he is the um, angel of death and that he's going to root out all sin and sinners and bring them to justice. Um, is kind of how I would label yeah. Rorschach. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, thanks for joining me, Nathan. Uh, I'm sure we'll all be able to talk you into doing another podcast with me in the future. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see how this one turns out. Yeah, there you go. There you go. That's it for today's podcast. What do you think? Let us know. Write us an email at reclamationsociety at gmail.com. I know that's a long email address, but it is in the show notes below if you want to cut and paste it. Or 
The alternative is for you to go to our community on mz.com, which is a new, friendlier Reddit where we host our discussion board. You can post into that group, share your thoughts, get a conversation started. Um, the link is below in the show notes. We'd love to hear your thoughts on Watchmen. Also, would you do me a favor? Would you give us a review on iTunes? I would appreciate it if you would. We don't have, we don't even have a single review on iTunes yet. So you could be the first one to review us on iTunes, and that would be amazing. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All the links are below. Please make sure you follow us there. In fact, give us some feedback. What would you like to hear us discuss in greater detail next? Let us know. As long as it's sci-fi, fantasy, or comic book, we will talk about it. And so we'd love to hear what you want to hear. And don't forget, if you're not subscribed, please make sure you subscribe so you can get all the content that we're putting out there. That is it for today's show. Remember, question everything in your favorite stories and always seek the truth. We'll catch you on the next podcast.